We have a special request that we are going to honor right off the bat on Ingle Radio, the podcast. Darren Millard, along with the co-founders of Ingle, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. And we have a special request that uh, we have to uh, make sure that we get off uh, our chest right off the bat. And that is uh, from Aiden Shaw. And uh, Aiden uh, emailed us to tell us that uh, uh, received a great Ingle premium subscription from the grandparents. and has been a longtime listener of Ingle Radio, and that's not the the, the great part of it, although there's a, a, an incredible relationship there that uh, has developed with Aiden. But Aiden's sister is traveling to the Lower Mainland for a hockey tournament, and Aiden is desperate to go along to be able to visit the hockey shop, the hockey shop source for sports, uh, Surrey, thehockeyshop.com, and uh, wanted a shout-out. So, uh, guys, say hello to Aiden. Hello, Aiden. Hello, Hello Aiden. Aiden's dad. Hello, Aiden's sister. You should all go to the hockey shop. As a matter of fact, if you tell me when you're going to go, maybe I can pop by at the same time and visit you down in the goalie department with Cam. Aiden, you and I can try all the gloves on and leave them on the ground for Cam to put back. I would enjoy that very much. But definitely Aiden's dad, who I only know now as Aiden's dad, based on the email, um, take Aiden and his sister to the hockey shop in person. Because as much as we talk all the time about how great thehockeyshop.com is, and Darren down in Vegas is a regular on the website, and if you can't get there in person, definitely want to check them out online. But in person is the best. That's where you get the attention to detail from Cam and his staff. It's not just a bunch of guys working the weekend uh, at the local sporting store. It is all goalies who are passionate about the position and they will help you find the gear that fits you best. So absolutely, Aiden, make sure you find time in that tournament to get dad to drag you down to the hockey shop and your sister because there'll be something for her too. So I've, I've been in that situation at a hockey tournament in Vancouver where you're looking at the schedule and you're thinking, okay, I've got two and a half hours between games. Maybe we can make it over to the hockey shop in time to grab this little thing. Aiden's dad, don't do it that way. It's got to be after the last game of the day because you've got two problems there. One is there's a lot of gloves for Aiden to try on, so you need time for that. And two, you've all heard Woody talk here, so you're going to have to invest a little bit of time. So those two things mean Aiden's dad, you need some time. And just so you know, it's not just goalies that come into town for tournaments, or in this case with Aiden, he's, he's into town with his dad for his sister's tournament. It's professional goalies. I remember Luca Grashner is still playing overseas. I think he's in the Austrian league, coming to do some work with Alex Ald for the week. And we had to make a special trip one day and we had to leave the time because after one of the skates in the morning, before one of the skates in the afternoon, we picked a window and drove with Luca out to the hockey shop just to check out all the great things they had in Goalie Utopia. Um, so yeah, like even guys coming from overseas, the hockey shop is famous and goalie utopia is so famous that pro goalies want to go check out all the things they have to offer. And I should mention right now, it's not quite up at the hockey but it is in store. I saw it on their social media account. Vaughn SLR three has arrived at the hockey shop. So look for that. If you're lucky enough, like Aiden to get there in person and look for it online soon as they get it posted um, onto the website at thehockeyshop.com. Here's the way we, we really sell it, Aiden, uh, because I doesn't it doesn't sound like your sister is is a goaltender. The it's the hockey shop. It's not just goalies. It's the hockey shop. So let's let's really sell it to pops 
uh, as a way to uh, to outfit uh, whatever your sister needs for the tournament. And the whole team can make a, make a trip out there and really dive in uh, to upstairs and downstairs and uh, and really uh, get the full experience from the hockey shop. And 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 if you take the whole team, maybe we can pull up some kind of VIP experience where you get a special extra special attention. I thought the VIP experience was having Cam put all your gloves back off the wall after you were done. That's how <laughs> I approach it. There's actually two floors. That's the thing. We talk all about the whole dedicated floor to goaltender, but up above us, there's actually two more floors for goal for for players. There's the main level, and then there's an upper level with pants and some of the extra protectives up there. So your sister will actually have two floors. You get one, and you can share the stick room. Try some new twigs. Both of you can take turns. Tape, have Cam tape a couple sticks up oh, for yeah. you and fire and pucks at the net. See which one you like best. It's uh, Make a day of it, folks. Make a day of it. That will be awesome. So there you go. Uh, Aiden, uh, we've, we've done our part. Uh, I hope you enjoy your experience because I, after this, Pops, there's no way you can say no. We, we came up with the idea to get Aiden there and, uh, and make sure that Aiden got the opportunity. You have to follow through on it. So congratulations, Aiden, and thank you for the email. And I hope that uh, you continue to enjoy Ingold uh, Premium and Ingold Radio, the podcast. I'm going to do a slight pivot here because we're on the subject of uh, the hockey shop, Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Uh, let's get to this week's gear segment right now, and then we'll come back because I want to chat about uh, Thatcher Demko's great tribute set uh, to Kirk McLean. Oh, Jacob Markstrom had the experience of losing a blade and how he handled that. Uh, very delicate uh, and challenging uh, predicament. Uh, Pekka Rennie's banner raising uh, ceremony also. Uh, so a lot to get to on the goaltending side, but uh, let's get to uh, the gear segment. And, and Woody, you guys are chatting about some sticks this week and some some accessories. Well, mostly except mostly how to protect your sticks. Uh, found a new twig, was going to buy it, and Cam was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't. I was just like, where's the tape? Let's go fire this thing up. Let me get out of here. But he wanted to show fire me all the different... Up all the different things that I could put on the stick instead of tape. So I never really thought about it. Times have changed. I'm a little bit of an old school traditionalist. Just give me a roll of white tape and send me on my way. But Cam had a few uh, a few extra options, some of which uh, can protect your hand, some of which actually protect that stick shaft, which we know is an area where sticks often break. So let's have Cam explain to us why tape is not often enough anymore when you buy a stick. We're back at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. We're down in Goalie Utopia with Cam Matwiv. We've got a stick. He's a little edgy right now because he's been throwing accessories at me for the last couple of minutes. And by accessories, I mean I came in to buy a stick, found a good one, wanted to get a little tape. Cam decided tape's not good enough. We got some alternatives. All he did manage to chuck the tape at my nether regions. Make sure you watch the video for that if you're listening right now on the podcast. Cam, we've got some options now. It's no longer a matter of just slapping some tape, although you can grip tape, regular tape, whatever you want to do. Because we're a stickler for our classics. We all, you know, we always do have them. But hey, there are alternates and extra convenience because that's the day and age that we live in now. In a world of Velcro straps instead of leather and buckles, there are also ways to get your stick ready to play a lot faster and a lot more consistently. You've got butt ends back in stock. Something you've had for a while, but we're low on. Mm -hmm. um, we've you've got a. I see the inventory is up. What the hell's a butt end, Cam? So, grip. Oh, I know what a butt end is. Okay, never mind. Two minutes in the penalty box, there, kid. Just hang tight. Butt ends. 
Normally, especially up at the top, you want a little bit of that extra grip, especially for playing the puck. We all know what a goalie knob is, Cam. Exactly. And also being able to pick up your stick because Kevin drops it all the time. With this right here, A, I don't have to wrap it with six tons of tape at the end. B, there's lots of great, great grip in terms of for playing that puck up top. The actual butt end is built in as well. So again, I'm saving you a bunch of time. I'm having it done already. I've got a supreme grip, easy enough to apply, which we'll show here in a little bit. Slides right on. You're set. You're ready to rock and roll. Again, no more six tons of tape, but I know you're old school, so you like your tape. So, Like the Braden Holby knob, like it gets like this big and he's there for like five minutes. We got video of him doing it. You're telling me I just got to slide this thing on and I'm ready to go. That's it. Although this black one would be illegal in the National Hockey League. But you have white. You have other colors. We, we do have other colors. Amazing. We have variety. Okay. So that's the butt ends. We're going to put that on and, and, and show you guys how to put that on. we got some other things. Now, I've noticed recently, uh, I noticed Henrik Lundqvist had one, his last visit here before he retired. Finger protection that wraps around the stick. You've got two different options now. You've got the paddle wedge, which is what I saw with Henrik Lundqvist. And that sits down to protect, you know, those shots that ride up the stick and catch you on the finger. It's there to protect it. You've got that one in multiple colors as well. Some green, some orange, some nice bright colors that people don't want white. But then we've, we've also got goalie block, which was kind of the original on this. Uh, I've seen Michael DiPietro use this in practice a lot. Chris Dreger was here uh, with the Seattle Kraken this week. He had goalie block on his stick. As a matter of fact, uh, I think he, I saw the trainer actually cut one off and put a new one on. So like, that was an example of where a shot got up there and maybe damaged the goalie block rather than Chris Dreger's fingers. Uh, I think of Sergei Bobrovsky, we've seen him using that on the regular. So the difference between the two brands, the difference between the two options, which do you prefer? It's good that you've got both. How hard are they to put on? Walk me through these things. Now, now quick note, yeah, hotly debated talk of uh, who came up with it first. I mean, hey, they're both here, so as far as I'm concerned, they both came at the same time. Which one's easier to put on? I'd say they're about the same. It really kind of depends on where you want it to sit a little bit more. The wedge is a little bit more tapered down, especially up at the front. Like you're getting a little bit more of that deflection out, whereas the block is just straight that block stop. Depends on how you like it to rest your finger on it too as well. I think for today's argument sense, we'll say that you pick block. Block, slide on, down the shaft, position it to where you would want it, ideally, again, where your index finger is kind of lining up on that stick, and that's giving you, again, that puck ride-up protection. Stop those shots, you know, broke fingers, stuff like that. We're not going to have that problem. So I'm kind of a pretty boy, as you may have noticed. So you got it in black to match my nice black stick? I, I do have it in black if you want black. I mean, it's, it's, it's up to you. It's personal preference. Okay, other options. So this is protective. Mm -hmm. um, quick question for you, because the guys like to make fun of me for having a practice or a warm-up stick come off and on easy or are you putting it on and keeping it on until that stick is dead? Now, again, this kind of depends on you. I would say it's once it's on, it's on kind of thing. Uh, you can peel them off. It's just that if it starts to peel and then you, you get a crack in it and you kind of wreck it sort of thing going on and off, it's kind of a waste in that sense. So maybe it is your practice stick. Maybe it is your warm up stick. Maybe it is your game stick too as well. I mean, this product is approved to be you know used in an NHL game if they really wanted to. Ooh, a little scoop from Cam. I didn't hey. know I told you that one. It's a conversation oh, I've had with a couple of goalies. Kay, Kay Whitmore told us that he actually has approved this for use, but I haven't seen a lot of guys use it. You, you told me, or I just knew that because it's me. Galaxy brain over here. Um, what else we got, Cam? Oh, yeah. yeah. One more product from you, from the makers of Paddle Wedge themselves. Your twig saver. So this one's, this one's a neat one. 
I like my twig, so twig saver is a good idea. Now, I would strictly call this one more of a practice thing than I, I personally wouldn't use this in a game. However, I do see the value in this for in terms of your practice deck. You get a lot of those shots off the higher shaft of that stick, and that's a lot of the times where we see some of these composite sticks break because that's a continuous shot. Once you start to have that spider cracking, you know, you go to lean into it and you're cracking right through. This is like a cell phone case for your stick. Put it that way. A cell phone. Nice. Look hey. at you marketing. So somebody should give you a job. Help. <laughs> Goes on. You would tape it down with just regular hockey tape or even clear tape if you wanted to. So again, this is something more geared towards that practice for sure. However, again, in that position, you figure out that spot where you do constantly get that, you know, shot off that shaft, taper down, set it up. Again, we're creating that extra protection. It's going to increase that lifetime out of your stick. And of course, you do sell tape here as well, right? We, we've got a little old school traditional stuff. Yes. For those of you that still like tape, still got to tape the, the blade. I mean, you're going to have to do something. I mean, hey, we do got blade covers if you want to use those too. It's stick accessory day, Cam. I think you should show me those. One more. One more accessory for today. We do have blade tape as well. If you really don't want to tape your stick. I'm lazy. I mean, hey, this is, this is as convenient, not lazy, as it would probably potentially get. Me personally, I do like a little bit of tape around my heel and all the way through. However, just in case you don't want to do that, you got blade tape. So folks, the lesson here is not only can you get the stick you need at the hockey shop, and in my case, on sale, the Warrior V1 line and, and a bunch of pro returns still on sale on the sale rack here at thehockeyshop.com. But they've got everything to accessorize it well. Make sure you check it out with Cam at the Hockey Shop in person here or at thehockeyshop.com. Pimp my stick. 604-589-8299-1-800-567-7790. Uh, Please don't pimp your stick. Just accessorize. Oh, uh, that, that, that's fun. And, and we, we do have the YouTube channel uh, and, and Instagram where people can watch these gear segments. And that's an important part of this week's gear segment, right, Woody? A very important part. Both, uh, let's just say you were going to want to watch Cam try and put on the butt end of my stick for me. Um, there's lessons there on how to make it easier yourself, as well as a lot of comedy in watching Cam maybe try it uh, a less easy way the first time let's put it that way so make sure you check out the gear segment in all its glory uh, we call it like a simulcast we got the podcast version on here but we do a little extra with the video uh, little intros and a little extra b-roll and footage of and this week it's definitely worth the price of admission to watch camp trying to put that butt end on my stick it's almost like the gear segment after hours version yeah just a just a little bit expand a little bit behind behind, behind the curtains well just and, and yeah you we like to see Cam sweat, and trust me, he works up a sweat in this one. And and he won't be the only person that's ever tried to to do that uh, in that fashion. And then you see the the real uh, ease at which when you when you kind of follow the instructions. Yeah, the, so well, the in, the instructions and uh, what doesn't go mentioned on the podcast is part of that you get that we'll throw you now as a little tidbit um, if you're having a little difficulty, because sometimes stores put the price tag up there so you can get a little bit yeah. of that sticky tape residue, which makes the butt end getting it on a little bit harder than it should be. Soap and water. And you're mm. done like that. And maybe if one of you are a young goaltender getting, getting a butt end as a gift, maybe get mom to help you put it on and not dad because moms read directions and dads don't read directions. So 
No. We'll make this work. I don't need those stinking instructions. Just push harder. Hey, guys, I think that segment was really important. I think you could gloss over that and think, oh, it's just a few little things for your stick and not as exciting as a, as a big gear segment where we're introducing a new line. But moms and dads out there, I think that's a really important segment to listen to. And I'm going to give you two reasons. One is the, the goalie block, the, the, the paddle wedge should almost be mandatory for kids, at least in practice. It's such a simple, cheap way of making sure your kid doesn't break a finger when a puck rides up the stick. I think everybody should have those on their sticks. It's almost not quite as important as Darren's dangler, but pretty close to it. And then being able to protect the shaft of your stick. I mean, come on, guys. We've all been through that situation where you make that glorious pre-planned shaft save and bang, it's a $300 save or a $350 save. That's about the only spot. I mean, it's not the only spot, but it's the most common spot, at least for that I see, sticks breaking. And now you've got a pretty cheap and affordable way to make sure those sticks make it through practice. Uh, and Woody loves things just for practice and just for warm-up. I want to see Woody at his next beer league game peeling off the shaft protector at the end of the warm-up. Got to get him, guys. Called the twig cover. The twig it's cover. $24.99. And I, it's funny because I think, you know, Cam probably undersold it a little bit there on the uh, in the video and, and when we were just talking about it. You're right, Hutch, especially for parents, especially with the price. I mean, look at me. I, my warm-up stick has got to have a twig protector on it. But if you think about it for practices, honestly, like you may not like the idea of having to tape on this piece of plastic on the shaft of your stick and it doesn't look pretty and the companies do a really good job making the graphics on the stick pop and everything. Yeah, you're covering that up for a bit. But at the very least for practice, you're seriously not going to protect your three and in some cases now $400 stick and risk having, you know, buddy T one up in a range in practice and, and break that shaft and you're done. I just, I, it, it's kind of a no-brainer to me, frankly. And like I said, for the cost of $24.99, yeah, you got you to gotta tape it on. It doesn't clip on. You got to put a little bit of tape around each side of the edge. But it also means it comes off and you can transfer it from stick to stick. Whereas I think goalie block and paddle wedge are a little more difficult to get off, um, you know, from, from one guy, to, from one stick to the next. Uh, this is super easy and you can transfer it uh, from one stick to the other. You can even use it on the stick you're going to use in games and practice and then take the, if you don't want it on there for games, take it off. So I get to skate with the, uh, the big club every now and then. The last three sticks that I've broken have all been on the shaft. And that's just, I, I would use it. I, I, I flat out, I, I, didn't, I didn't know it existed. The product existed until that gear segment and it makes so much sense that it's a no-brainer and if you're if you're a junior team and you're running through i I would make it mandatory for practice for my for my goalies just just saves i I know i know i know i know i know nobody wants to be told what to do etc but i'm a dad i'm a dad and and i i instantly become frugal and it just makes so much sense because that's where you, you break your sticks. With the torque, the way, the way that we're leaning on sticks, goalies playing the puck, it doesn't take much of a, a chip in that shaft to, to compromise the integrity of, of the stick. Hey, and it's a little bit like the other, the other. You, you go to the computer store and you buy your new printer and they come up to you at the end and they're like, would you like the extended warranty on this? Mm-hmm. That's usually a really dumb deal because for the most part, they're not going to break. 
This one, this is an extended warranty you should be investing in because you're spending a small amount of money to protect a very expensive piece of equipment. It's an important piece of equipment. So I don't know how many you guys go through, but I'm sure I've bought at least a dozen sticks this year. So do the math on that. That gets really expensive. And that was before I knew of this product. So I'm with Darren. I, I thought I'd heard something about it, but until this gear segment, I didn't know it existed. And didn't know the hockey shop had it, and I've been in there a bunch of times. I think every time Cam sells a stick, he should be asking if people want to get one of these with it. You know what we should do? Put put in goal radio podcast stickers on the shaft protector. Then they'd sell for sure. And yeah, flying. They probably, they probably wouldn't even people wouldn't even put them on their sticks. They just say what them. You could autograph them the, when the he's in the shop. Just go through all the bags. And yeah, exactly. He's doing his appearance with Aiden. <laughs> Warm up stick in goal radio <laughs> podcast signed by Kevin Woodley. There you go. We're done. Uh, we've got the, the paddle wedge, the, the, the goalie block, uh, the shaft protector, the butt ends, um, blade tape, uh, so much uh, going on in, in that segment. Uh, I love it. And there's uh, just an awesome amount of, of ways that you can make your dollar, your investment go a little bit further at the hockey shop uh, source for sports sorry the hockey shop.com one product we didn't talk about that they have online is and and what i found interesting about the butt ends is there's a tackiness to it that i actually kind of like when you're grabbing it that you don't really get out of stick tape like there's a little bit of grip to it on the butt ends and some goalies aren't going to like it some goalies are but if you don't like the idea of butt ends or they don't have, because they've got different options in terms of the style of grip, but you don't like the style, you have a custom grip you want to do. The hockey shop actually sells lizard skin camouflaged hockey grip tape. So you can actually use their grip tape at the end of your stick um, on to create a knob that gives you some of that texture that you might not get from regular tape or even grip tape. It's got a little more tackiness to it. So just one of those little side things that I hadn't thought about with a butt end that I sort of realized as soon as I started trying it and using it, you do have a little bit of extra grip up there that I kind of like. So if you don't like the butt end, but you want that extra grip, take a look at the lizard skin hockey grip tape that they have at thehockeyshop.com. You'll find all these things under goalie hockey stick accessories on the website. Uh, make sure you check them out today. We'll link that in the show notes, of course, too. Absolutely. Uh, I saw the lizard skin tape when I was searching for the lizard skin gloves that we talked about recently uh, when I did the search on the site the other day. So uh, very, very cool. It all it all comes together. What size of uh, on, just on the lizard skin gloves? Uh, Hutch, you've got the the tiny hands. What what size would, would you be small? And because I'm trying to figure out if you order them online. What, what size I would take. And I, mean, I sort of base it off, off Hutch. <laughs> I don't know. I use a small golf Do glove. They have a so tiny? maybe that tells you something. Oh, you're just, oh, so you just go ahead and go off a golf yeah, club. That makes sense. I, and, and as they made the point when they were doing the, the bit about them, they made the point that you want them to fit a little bit tighter than usual. So maybe you should even order the Hutch size and see how that goes. I don't know. <laughs> You, like you size. guys tease me They're- about my little tiny hands, but my kid borrowed one of my blockers the other day for some reason for practice, and it had the intermediate palm in it. And he said, next time he orders a glove, he's getting an intermediate palm, and he's got man-sized hands. He actually wanted to pull a Woody. He wanted to pull a Woody and have a blocker on the bench just for the last two minutes because he figures he can shoot better with the intermediate palm on the blocker. And you know, really, the score. you know, you know what's in. Interesting about that is um, we've seen the companies sort of not 
downsize the sizing. Like the feel that he's experiencing in that tighter grip in an immediate palm is kind of, we've seen the companies take material out of their blocker palm and sort of trim them down and have less material in them to try and, without making it smaller, because obviously finger length becomes an issue at some point for some people too, especially these like big goalies, but to get rid of that extra material because that bunching created less feel than what he would experience in an immediate glove. So we're seeing companies try and create that same effect he experienced in their regular size blockers as well. Yeah. So Woody, when you're in the hockey shop next time, maybe when you and Aiden are hanging out there, uh, don't just pull the gloves off the wall and try them on because a blocker is not just a blocker. Pull the blockers down, put an intermediate palm on, go into the stick room and you let me know how it goes. Well, you know, the problem is Cam doesn't let me, because uh, as much as he hates cleaning up after I've grabbed all the gloves, he hates it even more when I grab the blockers because he knows I have a little tendency to start throwing punches at him. I just like <laughs> to test things, so. Okay, maybe an intermediate palm is better for that too, Woody. I'll try. Your question on this subject, and we're going down a rabbit hole. As blockers, they used to have this, this, this strap to tighten them. I never used it, so I haven't even looked on my access whether it's there. I haven't, or I've never noticed it. Uh, do, does anybody really use the tightening the the strap on on a block? I actually find for many of them, I found that just the regular non-strapped wrist is a little too tight for me as well, and that's my little mm. hands. So I'd like to see them loosen up even more. I constantly just loosen it. I believe it is there still on the access there, and I just loosen it to the to yeah. the loosest spot. And then it just stays like that, right? Yep. Yeah, I I've, I've never really thought of using it, and uh, now I don't even notice it anymore. Let's get to some news. Uh, congratulations to the Hamburglar back in the National Hockey League and uh, and working on those career numbers that are already spectacular, and he's bumping them up, Woody. Yeah, opportunity, right? Four years between starts for Andrew Hammond. And he's 2-0 with the Montreal Canadiens already, 949 save percentage in those two games. But even more special, he gets to make that second start back in Ottawa where everything sort of the legend of the Hamburglar started. And he was really good in that game. So just nice to see him, J.F. Barube too. Both guys finally get an opportunity after four years out of the league and both guys playing really well early on. We're up to 109 goalies on the season. And I got to think in the case of a couple, you know, not all, but a couple of them, including maybe these two, opening some eyes of teams that maybe saw them as fours and, you know, might give them an opportunity to be a three next season. Or like I said, there's some guys around the league that have played well enough in unexpected opportunities that maybe they get a chance to, to, you know, to, to earn a backup spot next year. So good on both of these guys for after such a long time between appearances in the NHL for showing they can still play at a high level in this league. It belies um, logic why he went four years between National Hockey League starts, doesn't it, Hutch? Really does. One of, one of the things that drives me crazy uh, about the sport, although I don't know that I could do it any better, is just the way that people end up getting pigeonholed and they get seen as a prospect or not a prospect. Uh, too young, too old. We we put people, you know, American League goalie and NHL goalie. Well, his ceiling is this, his ceiling is that. Um, and I'm great. I'm so happy that these guys are opening some eyes and getting people to think about that. And I just encourage coaches, general managers to do that at all levels. Um, you know, you're 15 and you're a prospect to go to a high level team. A 16 year old could play just as well. And he's too old. So he's not going to be a junior goalie or he's going to have a junior B ceiling or something. And, uh, again, you're an Andrew Hammond and you hit a certain age. And I think they decide that, that you've hit the ceiling cause you don't have any time to get there. Like, uh, Hey, 
Johnny Bauer boys, when did he come into the league? I think, uh, I think we got to be open to guys of, of all ages and people having room to grow and room to improve. And the game changes around them all the time. So does that mean the same guy is still suited? I just think uh, opportunity, opportunity, what a season it has been for that at all levels. Because don't forget, every time these guys bump up to the National Hockey League, there's a knock-on effect all the way through the minors and even into junior hockey often. Um, it's just so exciting to see all the opportunities that are being given. And I hope that teams find a way to give a few more opportunities in the future when things settle down a little bit. And it kind of speaks uh, a little bit to, like sometimes guys in the AHL, like we've talked about this before. When it comes to reading the game, there are elements of the National Hockey League that are easier for a goaltender. And some guys thrive in the NHL because they're so good at reading the game. And in the NHL, guys are where they're supposed to be and for the most part, do what they're supposed to do. Whereas the AHL can be more of a scramble. And you, so you'll see these guys that have more success in the National Hockey League than they do in the American Hockey League. I mean, to an extent. But the thing about Hammond in particular, like his numbers have never been bad anywhere he's gone. And that's the part that sort of leaves me scratching my head at times. Like basically he had those two great years in Ottawa. He did not play well or did not have good results, I should say, with there when he was in the American League with Ottawa in Binghamton. But I'm not sure they were like that may have just been the team he was behind, yeah. right? Like product of the environment. But ever since then, whether it's, you know, he gets into one game with Colorado in 17-18, stops 31-33, to 33, right? And then he that was goes, in the playoff, in the bubble, right? Uh, that's or a regular, that regular season, season game, but okay. I think he also got into the playoffs and had a win there as well. Like, so, like, these guys just, you know, like, I'm with you, Hutch. Like, it just feels like, especially in Hammond's case, it, it, it leaves me scratching my head. And sometimes they do it to themselves. They sign a contract in an organization where an opportunity doesn't present itself. And it wouldn't have been Minnesota this year either, right? Cam Talbot and... Uh, Kakinen uh, are um, both playing, Kapo Kakinen are both playing really well, um, but he gets traded to, to Montreal and he gets his chance and he's making the most of it again. So um, good for him. But, you know, I think from an organ organizational perspective, maybe look at some of these things as an opportunity. I, you, you know, we've had those situations where the young prospect who's playing in the American League comes up and plays some games instead of the, uh, the backup because they want to develop them a little bit more, but maybe you use that thinking and expand it a little bit and give a few other people opportunities here and there. And I know that's tough because it's a league where you have to win and everything is judged on wins. But if somebody does well, if you find some, some lightning in a bottle there, uh, now all of a sudden, even if there isn't space, for example, on that Minnesota roster for Andrew Hammond, now you've got a prospect or now you've got an asset that can actually turn into something for your team. So I, th I think look at these as opportunities to develop goaltenders and develop assets for your organization. Easy to talk about, not necessarily easy to do, but uh, let's give it a try. Nashville turned a uh, Nashville turned a, an eighth round pick into the first banner to be raised at, at Bridgestone Arena. Uh, was that emotional for you, Woody? Because I know that... Uh that, that you've really appreciated uh, what Pecorini and the Nashville Predators and that community have, have uh, bonded with. Guy chokes up at the end of one interview, eh? And he never gets to live it down. <laughs> Listen, you know uh, I, definitely, I definitely had a big smile on my face watching that banner get raised. And you just just sort of sensing the connection that, that um, and feeling the connection during that ceremony between Pekka and the organization. And frankly, the next day, maybe even more so. Like, think about 
where the Nashville Predators were as a franchise when he arrived, like six years into their existence when they drafted him, a little longer before he arrives, like eighth round pick out of nowhere, has to work for it in the minor leagues to get his opportunity. A franchise that, I, you know, I don't know, I don't have it in front of me how they drew early on, but a franchise that was trying to sort of establish itself in a non-hockey market to yesterday and an outdoor game with 68, almost 69,000 people in attendance. And the reception that Pecorine got there, dropping the puck and then throwing the catfish, like to me, that was almost as, as impressive as, as much as I enjoyed the ceremony, seeing how much bigger and how much bigger a crowd and how enthusiastic they were when Pekka was introduced. It reminded me of what Saros told me um, heading into the event, like that he was pretty sure they could have sold out Nissan Stadium with 69,000 people just to watch Pekka's jersey get retired. So it's not just that he built that connection to that community. It's that he helped establish hockey as a part of the sporting um, fabric of that community because it really wasn't when he arrived. They were working to get there as an organization, but Pekka was such a massive part of that. And then we talked about it last week, both as a player and everything he did and how he did it with that glove, but also as a person and everything he did in the community. And having gotten to know him and you heard the emotion when I, you know, the, the interview we did, like you just, you can't help but love that guy. And so to see him have a night like that makes you smile too. Uh, two pieces of great style. Uh, over the course of the last week in Nashville, one is Pagarini's suit that, on his uh, banner retirement night. That thing was sizzling. Uh, I, I'm a blue suit guy. And the other one was David Riddick and, and, and the pads. Didn't get to see them, but uh, some, some pretty good work there. Yeah, I've, I've been scouring, looking for some photos from sort of the, the skates and the morning skate just to try and get it in the full glory of the jersey because we've seen it in practices. Uh, the sort of guitars, like the electric lit up guitars on the on his CCM set. And, you know, just again, another example of what we can do with some of the new technologies in terms of screening and printing and, you know, Bauer and CCM sort of leading the way in terms of some pretty flashy designs. And as, as good as UC was, and I, and I liked his dark blue sort of Navy setup. Um, and I like a I like a small goalie, not afraid to wear, you know, dark sets. Um, but that that. David's set just popped. I loved it. And 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 I loved if you if you check out uh Ritter's Instagram, um, they had a birth announcement, him and his wife, and CCM sent him uh, a mock-up with mini mini pads that with basically miniature pads with the same design on it. And there's a great photo of him and his wife with the the full Riddick wearing the full pads and and her holding the uh the little baby pads out in front. It's it's pretty awesome. I uh, loved it. Uh, on the subject of uh, dark pads. You had to be just uh, reliving the, the the past hutch when you saw Thatcher Demko out there and that Kirk McLean uh, tribute set. Wasn't it spectacular? I think re- reliving Woody's past more than ours because we didn't grow up in the lower mainland, but certainly from a distance, uh, loved what we saw in Kirk McLean. That set was absolutely on point. It was an incredible tribute. I think, again, as Woody said, the, speaks to the digital printing technology we have now that from uh, not very far away, that looked like the Kirk McLean set in so many ways. And, you know, just whether it's the stitching or, or, uh, you know, the, you remember the extra little how, how bits the, on, the, the, on the trapper as well that, yeah, the yellow yeah, piece to, yeah. to protect the bottom of your and, hand. Is there a name for it? Um, just absolutely on point, spectacular set. And don't forget the save that he made 
the Kirk McLean save. He's got no stick uh, in his hand and has to make this incredible windmill toe up glove save, which I don't think I've never seen Thatcher Demko do that before. Woody, you've seen it a lot more than me. Credit to uh, Canuck Skate on Twitter who put up the side-by-side pictures of Kirk McLean doing it and Thatcher Demko doing it. Um, that was a really special evening, Woody. Yeah, and you know what? I think we should run some audio of Thatcher afterwards because he talked about that, including the fact that he is not a windmill glove save guy. And uh, like, so let's uh, let's let people listen to Thatcher Demko because I think beyond the tribute that he made for Kirk, it wasn't like there was a real thought process. He talked to Kirk in the summer about it and a real sort of sense of the history of the position and those that came before him that I couldn't help but admire listening to Thatcher talk about it after the game. I, I don't think I've ever done that in my life, the, the windmill stuff. Um, it's never really been my game, so not even in practices or anything, so that was weird. Um, I don't know what came over me. Maybe a little bit of Kirk there. Yeah, a little bit of extra love for that glove with the windmill save. Windmill saves, some people just, it's, it's not in their DNA because they're, they're structured. They, uh, and, and I love to see, I think that shows the, just the natural uh, ability uh, of, of Thatcher Demko to, to freewheel it like that. I, I enjoyed seeing that, uh, uh, Hutch. It's absolutely spectacular. I think it's the kind of thing that uh, people try and bust out and practice all the time. Let's go have a little fun. Let's mm-hmm. play a little Thatcher Demko, Kirk McLean here. And uh, I actually think it's important. You know, there's that thing about practice. You've got to practice the way you want to play the game. And absolutely, you've got to practice with structure so that you've got those things to go to. But let's have a little athleticism. Everybody likes to talk about how kids need to go play lacrosse, baseball, whatever. And I don't disagree with that. But I think there's also a time and practice to freewheel it a little bit so that when you need to, you can bust it out like Demko did. I jumped out of my seat and yelled when he made that save immediately thought of what that meant so exciting well and the funny part is it it sort of overshadowed because in a game that ended up 7-1 when it was tight when it was in doubt he faced two breakaways in the first period including one where he busted out book jack so there was a little old school throughout the evening it wasn't like a flying Devin Dubnik reaching poke check but it was on the breakaway quick little quick little in tight poke to knock the puck away like yeah there was definitely some channeling of old school going on and it's funny you mentioned that, you know, that have fun moment and that different type of save. Like, you know, we talk about Ian Clark and we've got a series of, of drills and progressions online at Ingold Magazine right now, ingoldmag.com, featuring Thatcher Demko and Canucks goaltending coach Ian Clark that actually were through the first two parts. And the third part coming up this week is actually a desperation save where they practice structural elements to it where they actually take time in practice to identify some keys in a desperate situation that will protect the bottom of the net, will anchor your leg, will give you more extension, like how you position yourself in this moment will free up your hand to reach to the post, to reach different areas. So let's practice it. But also, Ian will be the first one to tell you, and he has in past podcasts with us, that one of the skills he looks for in a goaltender, I think it's part of his seven seven skills or seven keys to elite goaltending is that ability to in the moment come up with different things i'm not phrasing it the same way he does but to go outside of the box and to be creative in those types of moments and come up with different ways to make saves like that's 
even though he'll practice specific ways to make desperation saves, he recognizes as part of a goalie skill set that ability to get creative. Like Demko making the, you know, the scorpion save like two and a half feet off the ice when he lost his blocker early in the year. Like you have to have that element if you want to reach that elite status. And we see it shine through in different ways, whether it's the McLean glove or the doing the worm on the ice to elevate his heel for a heel save and the scorpion. Like you have to be able to do things differently because the game is not in front of you. As much as we try and be perfect as goaltenders, the game in front of you is never perfect. Goalie stick tap to Ian Clark for uh, allowing Thatcher Demko to wear that setup because it, it kind of violated the, the rule of, uh, well, a completely dark set uh, for, for his goaltender. So that was great because the, if you would have went to the uh, outer roll or whatever, it just it, it wouldn't have worked. It would have compromised it. So uh, thank you to Ian Clark for doing that. Did you guys did you guys find Thatcher Demko uh, looked okay because he had success in the in the all dark setup? I think he looked more than okay. No question to me, he looked thinner. Uh, black is slimming, is what he said on the TV intermission. And I thought black is supposed to make it make you look bigger yeah i don't know i don't honestly from a distance it looked like his legs were longer and leaner i don't think there's any question whatsoever i would question whether that matters that's a whole different question uh you know if an nhl shooter thinks that he's got a little extra room there and wants to go for it then Demmer's gonna shut him down so maybe that's a good thing it certainly worked well don't know that we can claim that the kirk mclean gear helped the uh, canucks generate 1980s offense that night but that's what we saw. I hope they let him do it once more and see what happens this year. And I should say, like, like I don't know how fast, and we call it a rule. Maybe it's just a guideline. We do know, and Ian's talked to yeah. us in the past, because Thatcher did want to do this tribute a couple of years ago in the 50th anniversary season. I know someone at Brian's told me that was the plan, and he ended up wearing that set with sort of like a uh, black, uh, yellow, and red V in the middle with Vancouver written on the outside of an outer roll. It was still a sharp set, but it was no McLean tribute. And, you know, I'm led to believe that that's because the McLean tribute was gonged, I'm assuming by Ian, but some flexibility there, at least for a one-off. And maybe Thatcher earned the right to wear it some more if they happen to bring these jerseys out. But I think it's important too to recognize whether you agree with it or disagree with it, whether you thought Thatcher looked slimmer or not. We've had this discussion with Anders Nilsson, wore dark gear all year with the Canucks, watched his own video at the end of the year preparing for the world championships and was like, man, I look small. I look skinny. And he switched to white for the world championships, won gold medal at the world championships and never looked back. Sometimes it's it's how you feel, right? Like look good, feel good, play good. If you think you look small, then you're going to switch. It's not about big or small with Ian Clark. Um, he has shared that with me in the past. It's about defined edges and that split second in a game where we're chasing fractions of a section and or of a second and fractions of an inch. If there is a split second where the shooter looks up and he can't tell where the goalie ends and the net begins because the edge of the pads are white versus creating a perfect silhouette with the dark edges, then that's an advantage. And if it is an advantage, however small, why wouldn't we have that advantage on our side? That's the philosophy. I'm not saying one way or the other whether I agree with it. I'm not saying what's right or wrong, but just to give the full background rather than Ian Clark's a meanie who won't let him wear dark gear. There's a real philosophy behind this and one that he clearly believes in. And the dude's had a lot of success. So, so. will you ask him, will you ask him for us, Woody, if we're going to see Thatcher Demko in the retro goalie flage gear, which takes that to a whole new level? <laughs> 
right? So for those of you who don't know, I apologize. I don't remember the name, but a high school student in the United States on the East Coast actually came up with this concept, worked with uh, Stomp, a goaltending equipment company at the time, to actually stitch netting uh, from a, a regular hockey net onto the front of a set of white pads and called them goalie flage. Uh, and we've since seen it imitated in, in other forms for that exact reason that a shooter looks up and they don't know what they're looking at in that split second. So, uh, I think it's a really cool option. Darren, you've got a set there. You've tried them. I've tried them. What do you think? Yeah, it's, it's Darren Stomp, uh, came up with something and, and, and was able to, to think up, uh, and, and adapt on the fly. And it, there's, if, if you're going down that path, uh, you can sell me on that. It, of of the split second looking up shooter seeing the net and it 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 made sense I, I don't know whether it actually ever worked to that extent but it the mind and the quickness of the game yeah it, it, there, 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 there's something there you can yeah, as much as ian clark can sell me on on his ideals i can i can be uh certainly swayed on the on the goalie flash it it's it's unique let's just say that uh, and it was unique. Well, and we've all seen that Brian set, right? Like Brian's made a set where the outer rolls were red to sort of match the posts and the crossbar. And yes. the inside of the pad had that crisscross. I, I, I like honestly, like we make jokes and everything. First of all, I want Darren the next time he's at, you know, he, he needs to tend the twine at uh, Vegas Golden Knights practice to break out some goalie flaws and see if he confuses anyone. Second of all, like, wouldn't it be funny if somebody did take it to that extreme and just came out with a set that like would just come out with a all white set that looks like mesh and netting like yeah. and see what happens. I want to see it. And I started this whole conversation by giving Ian Clark uh, a stick tap. No, nobody called him a meanie. <laughs> That's right. There we go. There are some people in this market that love in Vancouver here that love that black jersey love that black red and and yellow jersey so much the downhill skate and especially in the black and they want to see it so bad and the mclean tribute that um that thatcher had this week was a big part of that and they want to see that more too and so anything that might prevent it from happening like they get pretty worked up about Mm. it including like personal yeah it gets a little like how can he do this how can he tell the goalie what to do i mean hey man they're having some pretty good success together this year. Maybe just let them do what they do. And it was a great night all the way around with a convincing victory over the hottest team in the National Hockey League at the time in the Calgary Flames. Uh, the guy at the other end uh, had a bit of an adventure in Jacob Markstrom. Uh, Hutch, when you, when you saw what happened with, with the skate, how do you think that, that he handled it? And describe what, what went down for, uh, that, or for uh, Jacob Markstrom. Yeah, well, I mean, as we've seen many times... Uh, one of those blades popped out at one point during the game. And, uh, you know, I have to say here, as much as we give Woody a hard time for going into the hockey shop and testing all the gloves and throwing them on the ground and making Cam clean them up, every time something cool like that happens, Woody's phone lights up because he's at the game. He's covering it for NHL.com. And I start texting him. Did you see that? Did you see that? Here's what happened. Here's how that goal went in. Because I've sat up there with him before, and I know you don't necessarily get the best view you don't necessarily get all the replays so eventually woody responds to me sometimes and then eventually the phone just goes on silent because he's got a job to do uh cam can't put woody on silent at the hockey shop unfortunately um but it's it's always good fun so and i did at that point because i actually thought two things one is i thought 
that he handled it absolutely perfectly. And, and the scenario, of course, uh, allowed him to do that. But having lost the skate blade, um, Marky went into what we call the double seal, one foot on each post, uh, a technique that he uses, that Thatcher Demko uses. I think Ian Clark calls it reverse tracking. But either way, it's that, that complete sealing of the bottom of the ice, which is uh, very difficult to do, both from a technical and physical standpoint. But it allowed him that ability to move because instead of that skate without a blade trying to engage the ice, essentially impossible, he was just pushing off the post using it. Uh, brilliant. And, and ultimately was able to stop the play. However, when they went to the bench, they were unable to replace that blade. Normally, it's just a quick into that Bauer holder, quick change. Uh, we can all pop them in fairly, fairly easily. And they weren't able to do it. And eventually um, the referees had to ask uh, Dan Vladar to come in and take over. I think, and it's only a guess, but I think that that actual use of the, uh, the double seal reverse tracking, pushing that holder up against the post, probably damaged that holder to an extent and they were unable to, to get the new blade in there. So, um, but anyway, an interesting situation and really well handled. Um, but then Dan had a bit of a tough night going in there, didn't he? Woody? Cool. Welcome to the game. The other team's rolling. Building's rocking 100%. Finally got full capacity. And you get to come in with a minute 48 left and the other team's on a power play. Make the first save, but it leads to a rebound goal. So now you're one for two. Oh, and then with 4.1 seconds left in a scramble after yet another save, um, mad scramble around the crease and your defenseman closes his hand on the puck and the Canucks have got their top players on the ice. So not only is it a penalty shot, but they get to basically pick from the best of the best to take it. And JT Miller comes down and puts on a shootout type move that was absolutely damn near illegal. Like he almost pulled it back the other way, but continuous motion and all. He got Vladar going one way and came back the other with 4.1 seconds left in the period. And you really, you felt for Vladar in that situation. No warm up, no chance to stretch, no sort of signs he was going to be into the game. And all of a sudden he's in there. Played really well in the third period because they never put Jacob Markstrom back in. But the other guy I felt for in that case was actually Jacob. Because if you know how intense and how much of a competitor he is and how much, also what a quality person he is, as much as that fire burns, he's still a really good guy too. You know he did not want to put Vladar in that spot. And so just turned what was actually a really tight game, even at 3 nothing, had been a really good game into a bit of a blowout. I love those sweaters because I just see all the different players from the 94 era. When I look at a certain number, I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, and I swear I saw Wayne Babbage patrolling the blue line at one point <laughs> during that game. I just, I, I, I'm not, I went back, looked at the video and it wasn't there, but uh, for a minute, I thought Wayne Babbage was, uh, was there. Our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina. Go ahead. I was going to say what you guys don't see on the broadcast is they had uh, the intro. Like, yeah. so the intro in the building and it was the lumberjack, the Johnny Canuck. And it was Kirk McLean with his goal stick instead of an ax in like the full lumberjack outfit. Yure or Yurke Lume and Dave Babich were the three guys that were a big part of that, wearing the lumberjack stuff and the old Johnny Canuck, like this retro throwback introduction. I don't know if the Canucks put it online, but go, if you're a fan of those jerseys and a fan of that era, make sure you check it out because it was pretty cool, especially with Kirk being such a central feature in it. I have a Yurke Lume game use stick about three feet from me. That's wild that you just brought that name up. Yurke still is involved with the organization. He's around like he splits time between Finland and Vancouver. So he's still around. He actually played in the Canucks autism tournament, uh, which I was a part of as well. And one of my guys on the forecheck tried a little too hard and maybe woke, woke him up a little bit. 
he can yeah. he can still dangle. He can still make you miss out there. He went he went he went uh he 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 played hard for a couple of minutes and made us made everybody on the ice look foolish uh in those few minutes and then he went back into chill out mode just patrolling it, back there and the high flip. Remember the old high flip? Yeah. Master of it. It's it's a wood yofa. Jofa. <laughs> I don't what what did you guys say? Yofa or Jofa? Jofa. Really? Yeah. I did. It's probably wrong, huh. but I said it. No, I just we're from civilization, Darren. You're in the prairies. You didn't have it right. <laughs> uh, on the subject of uh, our good friend Jacob Markstrom, uh, let's uh, slide over to our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. And that is with uh, Jordan Siglet, the director of goaltending with the Calgary Flames. Uh, on the subject of uh, Sensorina, cracked the top 40, barely. I was 40th in the uh, latest competition uh, that is running right now. At the end of, uh, of this run of, uh, of challenges to get into the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs as a fan. Yeah, well, tell us how did it go, Darren? Uh, I was okay. I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I probably had one of my better sessions. And, and because I was 40th, I thought, do I even try again? But I'm going to try again to see if I can move up the ranks a little bit. Excellent. Would love to see you do that. Have you felt uh, that opportunity to work through the competition, uh, each of the different competitions that Sensorina put together there? Have you noticed something when you hit the ice? Have you noticed? Uh, the oh, yeah. You, I find I stand up more. Uh, and I'm more patient with the shots. That's that's one thing that has bled over. I'm far more patient uh, on, on my feet, on my edges than I was before. I think that's a fascinating observation, actually. I mean, so much of what we're uh, writing about over at In Goal and so many of the guys that uh, we're talking to now being patient on your edges is such a theme of goaltending right now. Uh, to be an outstanding modern goaltender, you have to be patient. And so for you to see that, uh, actually carry over, I think is outstanding. What a, what a great reason to try it in and of itself. And for me, a lot of that, of course, is just learning how to read the shot as well. And no. that opportunity for Sensorina to help you learn to read the release, to read the shot. I mean, we don't react to these pucks on pure athleticism as much as we love that Thatcher Demko save. Uh, so much of it is the ability to read where that shot is going and knowing where it's going pretty much before it leaves the stick. And the opportunity for Sensorina to help you hone that skill at home without being on the ice, uh, absolutely invaluable, a game changer. Um, I think it should be a part of everybody's warm up, whether that's your at home game day skate, because you're not playing major junior or NHL or something like that, where you get a game day skate. You've now got that opportunity to put the Sensorina on. 15, 20 minutes, not a whole lot of time, read some shots, feel some shots, maybe a little bit of overspeed stuff that you're not used to seeing on the ice, and you're going to be ready to step out there when you get there. I haven't yet, because we haven't been in a ton of arenas lately uh, with minor hockey, but I haven't yet seen somebody trying one in the rink before a game. Probably, maybe, maybe if we went to see Woody play one of his beer league games, we might see him out there in the hallway warming up with the sense arena. But I'm looking forward to the day that we see more and more kids actually out there instead of just juggling balls or bouncing them against the wall, facing some real shots before they hit the ice. Because especially if you're a minor hockey goaltender, um, this just makes so much sense. I mean, or beer league where you get that three minute warm up, that five minute warm up. It's not a, a good 15, 20 minutes like you get at higher levels of hockey. Um, so I think it's an invaluable tool and people really need to uh, to give it a shot. See, see what it's like. 
and see how it impacts your game. And we're very thankful that Sensorina has been along for the ride here at the Ingle Radio podcast uh, for so long and that they help bring all these great interviews to uh, to our listeners. Two things that I didn't realize was going to happen uh, in the in the drills. One, uh, there's uh, one set of drills where there's behind the net play. Right. And they can reverse it out the uh, the near side, or they can take it all the way behind that. But you got to do that uh, that post and shuffle over and, and and experience that. And the other one is real video of players. There's there's some where it's it's computer generated and the 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 puck comes off the the bot or whatever you want to want to call it. But then there's a, a number of drills where it's actual players coming down and and shooting on you, and that's where you get that uh, opportunity to learn how to read releases. Yeah, and there are those real players that you're seeing on video are actually related to the level of your play. If you uh if you're a younger goaltender, you're facing younger players in those video drills. Whereas if you were to uh set up your profile so that you're an older goaltender, a pro even, uh then you're facing I think out of the the some of the Euro Pro leagues, we've the videos are are of those players. So you get that opportunity to to see what you'll be seeing in a game or or maybe see a little bit above what you'd like to see. I think it's an incredible opportunity. Great stuff, and uh, I'll be trying it out. I'm gonna get get one more shot at it and see if I can crack the uh, the top forty. Woody, I just haven't seen your name out there because you've been too busy uh, talking to people. And uh, this week, uh, speaking with the director of goaltending, our good pal Jordan. Yeah, this uh, last month of the Ingo Radio podcast is brought to you by the Calgary Flames. Um, <laughs> nice little treat here. Both the Flames in town. I uh, had a chance to. T- catch up with Jason LaBarbera a little bit at the game just informally uh, on Thursday night. We talked about that game between Demko and Markstrom and a lot of the the goalie parts of it. Um, But also the Calgary Flames affiliate was back in town in Abbotsford this weekend. So out to watch Dustin Wolf, which uh, is always a treat as a goaltender just to watch him play. Like it's kind of like a how-to video out there. Really fun to watch. Um, But a chance also to catch up with Jordan Sigalette. And as much as we had Wolf and Spear on just a few weeks ago, um, Jordan's a guy who's, you know, part of a blazing a trail right now in the National Hockey League as teams start to add, you know, more depth to their goaltending departments, the concept of a director, um, clearly things going well for the Calgary Flames. And so the chance to talk to him about not just how some of his goalies are doing in the organization, but how that role has sort of shaped itself, how it day to day, week to week basis, how they operate to make sure everyone's on the same page. And is this a model that other teams need to follow around the National Hockey League? So had a fun 25 minutes with Jordan and we we kind of touched on a lot of different things that'll be interesting to a lot of different people, I think. The feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Uh, Kevin Woodley with the Director of Goaltending for the Calgary Flames, Jordan Sigala. Really happy to welcome back to the Ingo Radio Podcast. Third appearance in what has unofficially become Calgary Flames goalie. I don't know if it's month because this will run in March early, but we've had a lot of Calgary Flames on the on the Ingo Radio Podcast lately. But pleased to welcome back the director of goaltending, Jordan Sigal at Siggy. Uh, good to have you back here. I didn't realize, and maybe you didn't realize, that you would have to be back in Abbotsford as often and and dealing with me now that in the new role with now that we've got an AHL team back here. Yeah, I can't hide now. It's uh, it's nice being back here though. You know, coaching here, started my coaching career here after Everett uh, for three years with the Abbotsford Heat. So kind of special to be back, and it's an easy trip out from Calgary. It does have that benefit. A little easier to get here than Stockton. Does it bring back some memories? Because this is this is kind of where you and I actually first met. And I remember coming out here and watching Danny Taylor, 
Leyland Irving, that crew. Barry Brust. Ba- Barry Brust, that one of the absolute legends of the position. Bring yeah. back some memories. Being yeah, out here? brings back some good memories. You know, like that's, that's where I started, and as a as a pro goalie coach, and you know, worked my way up to to be in Calgary. So it's it's always fun being back, and family's here, so it's a awesome spot to be. Now, when you look back at those early years as a goalie coach in the evolution to now, what this is actually a big question. If you could go back to talk to that guy as he started out, what advice now after all these years later and moving into a director role and having coached National Hockey League goaltenders for an extended period, anything you'd change if you look back in terms of your approach to coaching now that you've had more years at it? What advice would you give a young Jordan Siglet just starting out as a goalie coach? You know, I think uh, I think you just learn a lot from all the different goalies you had. And uh, for me, when I started in Everett, you know, Wade Flaherty was going down there, you know, every couple of weeks because he had Kent Simpson with Chicago. So I think Wade really helped me transition to my role here in Abbotsford when I was here. And then just having the different goalies and styles I had, the goalies like Barry Brust and Danny Taylor and Leland Irving, you know, you just learn something new from them, you know, whether it was their preparation or their style. And so I think, you know, I, I wouldn't change anything. It's just, it's, I think all those people made me better being here and, you know, challenged me in different ways. So you had to adjust to each different goalie and, you know, take things from each guy that you worked with. Is that a lesson you share with the coaches you're working with now? I mean, you got Jason LaBarbera in the National Hockey League, got Thomas Spear here. And between the two organizations, you've got quite a variety in goaltending with Jacob Markstrom, more established, but still evolving. Dustin Wolf is a first-year pro, just obviously clearly a different stature goaltender, a different style of goaltender. Um, is that a lesson you sort of preach with those guys? And how much of it is groupthink when you guys get together and chat about the position and the guys you're working with? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of group discussion. We collaborate on a lot of different things, and we, we all talk on a daily basis. But for sure, with Thomas having a guy like Adam Werner versus Dustin Wolf, you know, totally different style goalies and obviously in size, stature too. Um, and then I think it's great for Jason to have a young guy in Dan Vladar. You can already see a lot of Markstrom's game, you know, rubbing off you know playing similar situations the same and you know he's just a young sponge that you know is willing to mold and learn and you know you you can see that from the start of the year until now already benefit then those guys both being sort of similar stature like not that dustin's going to be up there next week or anything just his first year pro but it would be different if you had dustin with markstrom right now is there a benefit to sort of having a guy like vladar um, almost mirroring Markstrom a little bit. Yeah, I mean they're they're almost the exact same size, and um, you can just see the structure that's been added by Jason to Dan's game, and you know just to have a guy like Markstrom for him to look up to, you know, and watch him daily in practice. Like I don't think I've seen a more competitive guy in in practice than Jacob. So you know that's definitely rubbing off on Dan, and um, you know it's really exciting to see. Is it important to have that type of mentorship? Even like Dan's been around. He was he was in Boston. There were other guys in that organization. Um, you know, even when he wasn't with the Bruins, like to be at a training camp with the Tuca, but to be in the day in day out with a guy like Markstrom, like is mentorship important as guys move up the ladder? Yeah, it's huge, and you don't even don't just see it on the ice with Dan, but to be around Jacob on a daily basis off the ice in the gym. You can see it just in his, you know, press conferences. You know, he's taking ownership when he has a bad game or a bad loss, which is what Jacob does and puts it on his shoulders. And um, so it's nice to see him maturing that way too. It's funny. I asked Daryl that question the other day about goalies as leaders because um, we knew here in Vancouver that Jacob was sort of, that was the sort of the cloth he was cut from. Like he led by example. 
I wasn't sure what to expect in the answer, but he quickly went back to comparing him to Ed Belfour and Jonathan Quick. And what do you see as leadership from a goaltender? Like the idea of throwing a C on them might didn't work here in Vancouver, might not be a, a great idea, but does everybody have to do it? Or are different guys sort of built different? Can you be a vocal leader even as a goalie? How is how's Markstrom the leadership rubbed off even beyond Vladar in that room? Oh, he's you see his leadership leadership firsthand just on the ice with his compete with his details his habits you know he he hates getting scored on even if it's you know a three on o drill you know he never has an excuse and i think that's huge for a leader as a goalie you know he's not blaming it on you know being screened or you know going off his own player and in the net you know he, he owns up to everything and knows he can be better every day and you know hates giving up goals whether it's practice or in the game and that rubs off on your team and makes them want to battle for you and play hard for you. And it's rubbed off on Vladar too. We've seen an evolution, I mean, of the position itself. Um, we've seen an evolution in Jacob's game. I mean, he was a goalie that for the longest time was sort of branded as the the next, you know, I think the, the phrase that we always used to hear was the best goalie not in the NHL. And then it took him a while to get to the NHL and there was a maturity process that played out in there. There was an evolution on the ice. Um, we saw him make significant changes under Ian Clark a couple of years here in Vancouver. It looks like he's continued to evolve there as well. Um, some changes in his game is without, I mean, if you want to get into him, great. But if not, is that just a sign that, because he had some great years here and yet it's still a continuous process. There is no sort of, you get to this point and you're done. The position always evolves. The goaltenders always evolve. Yeah, that's what's impressive about Jacob. I remember when we signed him, you know, I called him right away and you know, he said to me, he goes, I haven't reached my ceiling yet. There's still room for growth. He's like, I know I can get better. And like, for me to hear that was obviously pretty exciting. That was before I switched my role and was planning on working with him. But, you know, he's been the same with Jason LaBarbera and, you know, just little adjustments in his game, whether it's his stance or tracking pucks, quieting his feet down. You know, he's made a lot of little adjustments and continues to get better. And I think he's still got room to grow. What's that process like? As you said, when Jacob signed with you, you were still the Calgary Flames goalie coach, and it was just right after that, as that next season started, obviously the late start in January, Barb's comes out of the World Juniors, and he takes over that role, and you move to director. So I know you've kind of done this in wearing different hats, but what kind of approach do you take, whether it's Markstrom signing as a free agent or a new goalie that you've just drafted? How do you go about building that relationship and understanding what makes them tick and what they think is important to them. And then maybe as you grow together, transitioning to inserting some ideas that might need to change or some philosophies that might need to adjust in under, you know, sort of with the flames. I've been, I think I've become a pro at building relationships with goalies because I've had new ones almost every year and it's not easy. And like even Jason went through it last year. It almost takes takes half a season just to get a guy's trust. And it's really hard making some of those changes in season. So I was lucky the one year when we signed Cam Talbot to be able to go down to Ontario, just you know, just outside of Hamilton, to you know, meet his goalie coach, work with his goalie coach a little bit, you know, get on the same page. And I think that goes a huge distance, you know, having that relationship with a guy's summer goalie coach because that's the time to hammer away on some details. And I know Jason did that this summer with with Jacob Markstrom and. Um, you, you make too many big, significant changes mid-season, and those guys are starting to overthink a little bit. And if they have failure, failure trying to make those changes, then you know it, it comes back on you as a goalie coach. So there's a fine line there in season, and uh, so I think you know having that relationship 
with the goalie coaches in the summers goes a long way. And, um, you know, obviously building trust with your goalie as quick as you can when you get a new goalie is, is something that's huge. What, um, you know, we've seen sometimes guys can get pulled in different directions, especially at the, you know, coming out of, say, junior or college or whatever. You can have a coach you work with in the summer, um, a guy in college or a guy in junior, uh, maybe another guy locally by that team. Like you can end up, some of these kids, maybe they make a national program, there's another voice, and then they get drafted. There's a guy at the development level, there's a guy at the NHL level, there's now you in a director role. How do you get everyone? I know it's probably easier within your own organization, but how do you make sure everyone's on the same page, especially before they arrive to you? Say they're still in college for a year or two or still in junior for a year or two after you draft them. Obviously, going and seeing the goalie coaches is important, but how do you approach that relationship, not just with the goalie, but with those coaches? Yeah, it's it's just communication and it's, you know, trying to get on the same page. And if you can't, you know, finding a happy medium. Uh, for example, we have a goalie in Tri-City in the USHL, Arseny Sergeyev, and um, he's in the USHL, USHL now and has Matt Zaba, who's a very good goalie coach there. So, you know, I, I speak to him weekly. And then he's going to UConn the following year, which uh, Vincent Stiletti is the goalie coach there. So I'm already talking to Vincent, you know, preparing him for when he does get there. And, um, you know, they're, they're both great goalie coaches and, you know, beliefs are pretty much the same. But you want to make sure everyone is on the same page so the kid isn't getting different voices and different messages and me telling them one thing and them telling them another. So, um, you know, it's just communication and, you know, staying open minded and open to new ideas and, you know, just targeting where you think his development needs to go, but making sure he's getting pushed in the right direction. Do some of the key points change? Like, can, are there things that you would teach or that they maybe, I don't want to say get away with, but are things that maybe at the college level where they don't need to worry about that, but you know that at the pro level, it might not translate. And do you have to be cognizant of, you know, maybe not pulling them away from something that's working at a lower level, even though you know down the road, it might need to change? I know it's kind of a general question. There are sort of different requirements of a goaltender at different levels and in different leagues. There are, and I, th I think you need to attack those areas earlier than, you know, wait. Um, like there's some things in our senior's game that, you know, we want to take care of now so we're not worrying about it when he does become a pro in, you know, three, four, or five years. And I think uh, the quicker you can, you know, work on those details and, have him, you know, play more of a pro style game. He's going to have an easier transition going to college than playing the pro game. We used to see goalie coaches, not everyone, but for the longest time, you, it could become quite an insular position at the NHL. You didn't get out. You didn't talk to people. There were some organizations where the goalie coach isn't allowed to talk to media, for example. I mean, I have to live that. But I'm wondering, like, it sounds like in this role, like you're talking to everyone. And as the position evolves to have different ideas, to have that openness and to have that philosophy, like it must be just, is it kind of like a constant education to, yeah, to be able to have all these different ideas flowing from different places? You got goalies from different countries. You got coaches from different regions, different backgrounds. It must be almost like you're building a little encyclopedia of goaltending <laughs> in these conversations. Yeah, I know it's refreshing. You know, guys are way more open now than they were a few years ago. And there's still the odd goalie coach out there that doesn't like to share and, you know, talk about, you know, what their key points are and their development and, you know, working with their guys. But, you know, look around on social media now, how many people are sharing ideas and networking. And, you know, another example would just be the conferences we went to with uh, the network conferences, the network, yeah, yeah. network goaltending conferences, just sharing ideas. It 
not being stubborn and thinking you know everything, go there, you might pick up you know one thing, you might pick up ten things, but you know it goes a long way for coaches with their confidence and um that's great for the goalies too because they're you know it's not getting stale, they're getting new ideas and new thoughts thrown their way too. I was gonna say, I remember seeing at you this conversation. I know you were a guy that actively sort of went out and looked for new ideas and was always willing to share as a presenter at those conferences. But I also know there were some organizations where the goalie coach wasn't allowed to go. So it just seems to me that staying in a position that evolves so much, staying open-minded like that can be a real benefit, not just to the individual goalie coaches, but to entire organizations because you're constantly sort of bouncing these new ideas around. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you can ever stop learning in, in, in this position. And even if it's you know something for the mental side of the game or off-ice training, you know, there's always little advantages that things you can use to make your goalies better. So give me an idea what the week is like. Um, you mentioned you guys talk on a regular basis, almost daily basis with amongst the different coaches. Is part of it managing those conversations? Are you looking at specifics, doing a lot of video? You know, how does the, I know you're here on the ice with Thomas, working with the goaltenders here, um, Dustin Wolf, Adam Warner, uh, and I believe Andrew Shortridge out there as well today. What's, what's a week look like? What is a typical or typical, like how, how often are you out and about doing this? How often are you scouting? How do you balance that? Yeah, every week's kind of different. Um, it's been nice, though. You know, you can kind of make your own schedule. Uh, I've been out a second time to Abbotsford now to see these guys. And it's just nice to be around, show them some love, and, you know, let them know you're there for them and support for them and, and Thomas as well. And Kind of become a sounding board for both Thomas and Jason, where, you know, if I look back at it now, I would have loved to have someone in my role when I was coaching. You're kind of on an island as a goalie coach. and everyone's blaming the goalie and you have no one to talk to about it. So um, you become a little bit of a sounding board and bounce ideas off each other. And whether it's, you know, how to get a guy back on track when he's in a bit of a funk or, you know, Jason sending me clips of something his goalies are doing and getting my advice on it. It's just nice to have that little network of the three of us and um, a lot of venting going on, <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's fun and it's fun to be there to support those guys. But, uh, I, I just try and get around to see our prospects. I was just in Kansas City to see Danil Chechelev, which is one of our prospects. And then, you know, usually after practice and before games, I'll be doing video to, you know, target guys for the draft or free agency, or you're watching, you know, AHL prospects like I was with Dan Vladar, you know, trying to find that next guy that's ready to pop and become an NHL goalie that maybe an organization no longer has a fit for because they have too much depth. So you just... You're always watching video and talking to your scouts to see if they, they've seen guys around the league that you should target for the NHL draft. And you're always trying to find that diamond in the rough that no one knows about, too. Or you've got a track record of finding those from David Riddich, um, you know, guys that maybe weren't on the radar elsewhere. You've done a really good job of finding those guys. Dustin Wolf all the way to the seventh round before you guys got in there and having success right away. What do you look for without giving the secret sauce away? Like, is it a bit of everything? Do you need to see it live? Is video enough? Is it about the person beyond just the goalie? What kind of things allow you to sort of find these guys? Yeah, it's it's not really one specific thing. And the nice part is I found that watching a goalie on video versus live, I can still get a pretty good feel on video. I think it'd be a lot harder if you're watching a player's. You know, it's hard to pick out where he is and you know what he's doing all the time. But you know. The, on video, you're getting replays of saves, replays of goals. Um, but, you know, you're, just, you're looking for a guy that's a good skater. He's competitive. You know, the things you can't teach, because I, th I think you can always add structure to a guy's game. And 
you know, that's what we saw in Sergeyev when he was in the North American Hockey League, just a big, powerful guy that's super competitive, a good skater, um, but just lacked structure. You know, he was a bit all over the place, but, you know, all the, all the tools were there. So if you get a guy like that and you can, you know, add, add a game plan to his game, and um, I think there's a lot of upside in guys like that. As opposed to, say, a guy who is polished and looks great and is having success, but that might be... There might not be as much upside beyond there. Is that like guys? Is it tough sometimes? Because we've seen guys come through the draft where it's like people maybe see like this is his ceiling, and, and they worry that there's no more upside. And there's times where I hear that mentality. And I'm like, yeah, but it's pretty good. Yeah. Like even if the ceiling, even if he's almost at it, it's pretty damn good right now. Like yeah. How do you, if you take have a guy? Like, that? You take a guy like Spencer Knight and Dustin Wolf. You know, like two super polished guys, but they're really good. So yeah. um, as long as they mentally they're tough and. You know, they keep working at their game and getting bigger and stronger. You know, those kids have upside too. But, uh, you know, something about just those guys with the raw athleticism that, you know, just need some coaching and structure to their game. Those are the ones that are exciting too. Well, I'm excited to have Abbotsford, you know, back in the league, not just because it's nearby so I get to come bug you, but also because I get to come watch guys like Dustin Wolf. Left Last time you guys were here, there were a couple of drills that, had my eyes popping out of my sockets, had everyone banging their sticks on the ice. Like what, you know, we had Thomas and we had Dustin talking about his evolution as a first year pro, but like, can you put into words what, what makes this kid so special at such a young age? What's allowing him to have success? Cause I've heard it like, you know, for over a decade now, that jump from junior to the AHL is usually a lot bigger than the next one. And he's made it somewhat seamlessly, at least watching him. His focus is just like insane like the kid nothing phases the kid his work ethic is through the roof i think one of the best things that happened to him was him dropping to the seventh round because that's really lit a fire under him he wants to prove everyone wrong he wants to prove that all these people that say he's too small to play in the nhl like that's that's lighting fires under him and you know it's impressive if he does have a bad game which has been rare you know it's it's behind him the minute it's over and you know wants to bounce back and and win the next one so he's ultra competitive you know he's athletic like i mean the only knock on him is size and he's proven people wrong that you know like uc Saros that a small goalie can have success at the pro level last one advice i asked you what you would tell a young jordan sigalette just starting out what about for other goalie coaches because there are a lot of you know young goalie coaches around that you know how do i get in how do i get into pro how do i make that jump how do i i don't know that there's one answer but what advice would you give all those goalie coaches out there that sort of look at Abbotsford or Stockton or the American Hockey League or even the ECHL as the point they want to get to as a, as a starting point? Or this, or you started as well in the Canadian Hockey League with Everett. Looking back, knowing what you know now of the structure, what would be the advice you'd give to those goalie coaches? Well, the big thing which we already talked about is to network 100%. You know, you know, email different clubs and ask if you can come out and come on the ice during a practice, which I know Joey Ali did here, you know, last week in Abbotsford. And it's, it's huge for networking, for experience, for making those connections. And on top of that, you know, just keep grinding. You got to work at the game. You got to continue to get better yourself. You can't be stubborn and think you know it all. I think there's a lot of guys out there that overcoach, which, you know, can have a negative effect on your goalies as well. And it's just a fine line and balance between, you know, coaching and when do you let a guy, you know, just play a little bit and work through his struggles on his own. But no, I think I think just networking and you know working hard at the craft and continuing to try and get better is is a huge, huge thing. And I do have one more. 
because I always have one more. <laughs> Where do you see this, like the position, the director position? We've seen a few of them. Um, few teams embrace this idea. Obviously, it's had a lot of positives for your organization. Like goaltending is a str- is a strength. Um, it has been for a while, but like you see, when I hear and I see the way things are going and the communication between you guys, like. Is this just where everyone's going to get to? Do you hope everyone gets to this, or do you hope it stays an advantage for you guys because yeah. nobody else has it? I hope no one else does it because I thought it was going to be great, and then when being in the role, you realize how important it is. You know, because um, when you're, if you're Thomas and you're coaching the AHL, if you're Jason in the NHL, like it's so so hard to be watching video for the draft and free agency, and you know, given all your other prospects love, like they sometimes get forgotten about because you're so focused on your AHL guys and your NHL guys and they need your attention full time. So, you know, for me to bounce around and see those guys we've drafted or signed and, um, you know, focusing way more just on the draft and free agency, you know, you're you're all in on it. You know, it's part of it's hard because you feel like you're covering the world when it comes to the draft and the free agency and, you know, moving forward. Um, I'd probably like to get a couple like goalie specific scouts, you know, on board too. I think that will be huge for the organization, and you know, it takes a little bit off my plate. But uh, I think it's just such a huge position, and I think teams are crazy if they don't create it in their organization. The most important position requires more positions. Keeping an eye on it, it seems to make sense to me, <laughs> and yet that's not always been the way it goes in the National Hockey League. So good on the Flames, and good on you guys for making it work this well. Yeah, no, it's been awesome. Siggy, thanks a lot for the time, man. Uh, like I said, I, I the good thing is you get to come to Abbotsford and you don't have to go to Stockton every time to see these guys. The bad news is I always meet you here. So yeah, it's I a little appreciate warmer in Stockton you. right now, too. So That's true, too. <laughs> All right, man. Well, it's good to catch up. Thank you. I love the idea. What what they've done in Calgary with Jordan and that goaltending department just it's it's like Woody being able to just bounce things off uh, of of his interview subjects, but they do it daily with their goaltending department. It's such a great point, Darren. Not comparing it to me, but no. goalie coaches, as Siggy said, like they were on an island for so long, and having other guys in the organization and somebody sort of heading it up and coordinating that communication. Like I'm watching them. Like I watched Thomas Spear do some drills the other day and Jordan was out there filming it because I know they're going to share that stuff. Like it goes top to bottom and it goes the other way too. Like there's a lot of communication. Like, hey, we tried this. Maybe have you tried looking at that? Like I just think it's invaluable because I've seen how some goalie coaches can end up in a bubble where the only people they talk to are their own coaching staff, not other goalie coaches. Like in some organizations, they're not allowed to go out and talk to people. And Siggy talked about that. Like even before they had this, I would see him at the network goaltending symposiums, right? Trying to meet other goalie coaches, hear other ideas, presenting at those symposiums, sharing his ideas, sharing their results, because everybody's better for it. I I think as much as we try and, there is an element of protecting your own interests and what you do. uh, and, And I understand that. Uh, if you put yourself on in too big of a bubble and too big an island, you lose the chance to be exposed to other people who might be able to help you get better or look at something from a perspective you would never look at it yourself. I think if you're insular and you only focus on your own program and you hold all those secrets to yourself, eventually everybody else out there is going to act a little bit more like uh, Jordan and the Calgary organization and understand the collaboration you know the old line a rising tide floats all boats 
And the rest of the league is going to start passing you by and they're going to work together and find new things that they can do so that the insular people will be left behind, whatever industry you're in. Uh, collaboration is the key to growth, I think. And it's great that not only are they doing that as an organization, but but really, guys, they've been super open about sharing those things with us and with the in goal readers as well. And I, I like the panda to them for that. The panda. And, yep, the panda. And we've heard from other coaches that have, have talked to and, and reached out to them about how they're implementing it. And they've been open about that. We've got some more stuff that we'll have with Dustin and with some, with some of the other goalies that were out there this week. We saw Adam Werner out there uh, this week again. We've got a thing on his very unique stick handle coming up, uh, like the pa- how he does the paddle or the handle uh, on the on, at the top of the paddle of his stick. Um they had Andrew Shortridge out there this week working. That's another thing that they do. Um, they've got two prospects in the ECHL, but rather than, and they do get down there to see them and they've got, they're lucky. They've got a goalie coach with their ECHL affiliate, not affiliated with them, but working for their ECHL affiliate in Kansas city, jo- uh, Josh Robinson, um, who's another guy that's submitted to us and, and worked with us and just a great, you know, a great open guy who likes to share. So, um, but they're also alternating those guys, right? So they bring, they've got two guys in the ECHL, but only one at a time. Like one of their prospects is down there and the other one is up as a third goalie with the heat and they rotate back and forth. So when they're traveling, they have three goalies. They don't need to worry about e-bug situations for the Stockton heat, but they've also got that third goalie working with Thomas Spear. And when Jordan Sigalette visits, he's out there with Andrew Shortridge and Adam Werner and Dustin Wolf after skate doing goalie stuff so it's just it just feels like the right way to go um to have more voices and more options to help all your prospects i just love the way they're handling everything in calgary right now on the subject of voices so what's happening over at ingle hutch lots of stuff at ingle we've been on a really good run here for the last couple of weeks and we've started to put out a a weekly I mean, we've always sent a weekly newsletter to our members just to let them know what's up on the site. Uh, We're now sharing that with a wider audience as well. So uh, do look for that on social or in your email, get a chance to see what's up every week. Um, I just want to, it's been a while, but I just want to give a little love to our friend Pete Fry, who has uh, started to contribute a little bit more regularly over at Ingle uh, of late. I think the last three weeks we've had something up from Pete this week. Uh, there's a piece on having that never give up mentality and that might to you just seem like, well, of course you should never give up. But I think the idea is that you need to go into situations prepared for how you're going to handle them. And, and Pete's always big about having a plan. And I think you need to understand that, uh, things happen, things happen that we're not happy about that don't work out well. Uh, for us as a goaltender in the moment. And so how is it that you're going to handle that situation so that it becomes a moment of growth uh, rather than something that holds you back? So uh, Pete's got an article about that um, this week. Encourage people to go check it out. A lot of the stuff that Pete is sharing with us is is based on um, this 30-day program that he's put together called the Goalie Mindset Power Program. There's a link in the articles that uh, everybody, whether you're a member or not a member, can get to that link right up at the top. And I encourage you to just go check it out. Um, Pete's a guy who we felt strongly about for many years since we've uh, gotten to know him and gotten to work with him. And uh, one of the things I love about what he does is he's also got that group that meets uh, several times a week, young goaltenders, older goaltenders. You can hop in there and they just do some of this mental training together, whether it's these concentration grids or Pete will bring a speaker in to talk to the group or 
or all, all sorts of different things. And I, I remember when we first hit the old COVID thing and kids were shut in at home with nothing they could really do. Uh, I know for uh, our son, that group became a really important thing where every day he had something to look forward to. And quite often you'd have a pro goaltender dropping into train along with everybody else, just like one of the guys. So um, thanks to Pete for everything he's doing, helping goaltenders prepare mentally uh, to become to become better at their craft. Because as we often say, it's uh, so much of the mental skills are what really matter for goaltenders. What else have we got going on over there, Woody? Well, part two, I talked about already, the Ian yep. Clark Thatcher Demko series. Make sure you keep an eye out for part three this week because that's when it gets real fun, including a conversation about some of the things that Dominic Hasek did so well and why and how that translates to a desperation uh-huh. moment that you can actually prepare and plan for. Like I said, even in desperation moments, sometimes it's all instinct and you need to have that. But there are other times when having a plan or at least a foundation improves your odds in those moments and ian clark and thatcher demko share one of those Uh, it's upcoming in part three this week um we'll have another pro reads this week i think i'm gonna fire up trying to remember what i had in the queue for this week well you had a brand new one last week that we haven't even talked about on here. right joseph wall had one a new guest on pro reads and if you heard him on the podcast last week and how well thought out he is you knew and he talked a lot about how his development was about reading the game he shares some of those reads, starting with a three-on-one this last week. That's that's up uh, at ingoalmag.com. I think next week we'll probably go to a Braden Holtby read. Um, we've got lots more coming up there. Uh, you talked about Pete Fry. Uh, we might do a little article on Dark Gear and Thatcher Demko after this conversation we had today. It feels like that's something that needs to be followed up, almost just as an excuse to show off that sick gear he had yes, last week. So maybe we'll have to throw one of those up there this week as well. But as always, there are literally hundreds of articles for annual subscribers. Full access to the archives when you subscribe annually to ingoalmag.com. That includes, we've got to be up over 120 pro reads now. Um, tons of pro drills, pro tips. Uh, we had an article with Anne Renee Debien that's up online right now about how to manage practice time. We all know those 3 on 0 drills. She talked about hating those 3 on 0 drills, but how her ability to find ways to use those to get better helped her become an Olympic gold medal champion. That article is up right now at ingoldmag.com as well. Who is the goalie that just turned around and knocked the net off on the three on all? David Leggio. Oh, yes. yes. On yes. the podcast, yeah. <laughs> Twice, right? <laughs> yes. That, uh, that is always the, uh, the, the, the go-to move for me. Uh, it's tough to do in practice because the coach gets mad because the net's always in the corner. <laughs> but uh, during a game, well, yeah, give it a shot. What, they, they changed, changed the, rule, the rules though. on him. And what did it go to? A penalty shot? No, well, it was a penalty shot, right? So the situation was he was facing right. a two-on-oh, and he very right. intelligently decided, I'd rather face one guy on a penalty shot than two guys on this scenario. So he knocked the net off thereby resulting in a penalty shot. And as I recall, made the save as well. You better come up with the save after that, that move. Um, but then they changed the, the rule. So now it's a, just an automatic goal if you do that. Now I, need to, I might have to test that one of these days to see if that's trickled down to Beer League, whether they yeah. abide by the yeah. same rules. I think they <laughs> I should have just the been more thing. creative. Rather than going with the automatic goal, it should have been a, a two-man penalty shot. Oh, that would be good. That would be really good. And then we'll you, have coaches wasting 15 minutes of every practice with uh, two-on-o penalty shot drills instead of just the two-on-o flow drills that we're all subjected to. And and Rene Debian told us how to handle those. But uh, yeah, let's not go down that rabbit hole. 
I'm going to dedicate this one to Aiden Shaw, who we started the podcast with, with the shout out. Do you, if, if somebody covers the puck in the crease, the team can pick a, a player to take the penalty shot, right? Yep. Right. Somebody on the ice, right? Right. So you can't put in another goalie for that penalty shot though. You can't substitute because the, play, that, the player's on the ice. I think so. I wouldn't think so either. Don't Just know. thinking out loud. Ooh. Yeah. Got a bad hip. Just for a second. That's like throwing the net off. I'd just fake an injury to get out of there. (laughs) Uh, Aiden, enjoy your trip uh, to the hockey shop. Source for Sports Story, thehockeyshop.com. And let us know. uh, Fire over an email. And uh, and maybe, just maybe, uh, if Woody's in the area, he can stop by uh, for a a visit. Uh, Also, thanks to Jordan Sigalet for uh, popping on with us again and providing his insight and uh, just sharing with us and not, uh, not keeping it all bottled up. And Cam. A little soap and water, and, uh, and we squeeze in the gear segment, uh, and it becomes uh, much easier. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, Aiden and everybody else, uh, let us know how your journey's going uh, by a little correspondence, uh, either on Twitter or uh, fire us an email. And we'll talk to you next week on In Goal Radio, the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>